Week 12, watch your influencers. Everyone's got influencers in their life. We can be influenced by music, influenced by TV shows, influenced by the movies we watch, influenced by the relationships we carry. I think that's the biggest one, influenced by relationships we carry. And a lot of times we don't understand that we are meant to be the ones who influence rather, be the, rather than be the ones who are influenced. And in this chapter that we're about to go to in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and 17 tonight, we're about to see that David's going to go through a time where a lot of people are being influenced by different things, including himself. And I believe that if we're going to become the church that Jesus wants us to be, we've got to watch our influencers. King David's son Absalom has begun a rebellion against um, his father, King David. Remember King David, he has the sons. One of them is Absalom. So Absalom's rebelling against his own father. King David at this point has led about 600 or so men um, outside, uh, about to go into the wilderness. Um, he sent priests and counselors back to Jerusalem to kind of have some people back in the courts with Absalom to make sure that he can figure out what's going on and what's the next move, people he trusted. And he sent a counselor in because his counselor would influence the advice um, of Absalom because David's previous counselor had gone and betrayed him and is now serving Absalom. David's chief counselor gave the best advice in the land, and, he, and Absalom got him on his side. And I don't know if you have that one person that you always go to for advice. You know, I think everyone has those different people. You got people who you go to advice that you know you're never going to listen to, but you just want to hear what they got to say. <laughs> Mainly Pastor Kyle. <laughs> and then you got people who, no matter if they tell you what, it's, what you want to hear or not, you're going to listen because you know they've been proven worthy. They got the best strategy for a thing. Well, this is what Ahithophel was. He was the best counselor but now he's on Absalom's side. So David sends another counselor in to try to confuse him and make sure that Absalom listens to the thing favoring David, all the while being forced to exit Jerusalem. He's on the way to the wilderness. He has stopped to worship out at the Mount of Olives, and now we pick up in 2 Samuel 16, verse 1. When David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, Ziba, everyone say Ziba, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. How many of y'all remember Mephibosheth? He's that crippled dude that, that they bring in and he got at the king's table and David said, I'm restoring everything you lost. He was Samuel's uh, lost son who got crippled when his, his awesome babysitter dropped him. And he got crippled and he could never get the throne because he couldn't fight for the throne. Well, Mephibosheth, he's back in the story. Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, was waiting there for him. He had two donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisin, 100 bunches of summer fruit, and a wine skin full of wine. That's the, kind, that's the kind of donkeys you want to come to the party. Give me the bread, the raisins, fruit, and wine. Amen? Mm, it's like a, like a charcuterie board back in the day. If y'all know what that is, y'all need to eat somewhere than Burger King. Verse 2. What are these for, the king asked Zeba? Zeba replied, well, the donkeys are for the king's people to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat. The wine is for those who become exhausted in the wilderness. Not that it matters, but when he says wine for the exhausted, he's actually talking about the ones who are on the brink of death because they are literally exhausted from the journey. So he's like going to the people who are about to die. He's like, hey, man, you want to drink? 
<laughs> he's, he's bringing what they need for the, for the appropriate things. So Ziba brings these gifts to Dave, what David's going to need, but there's something about Ziba. He was not content being the servant of Mephibosheth. He didn't like the fact that he had to serve an answer to a guy who had a handicap. So he was trying to get everything. According to this scripture, Ziba's saying, hey, David, uh, Mephibosheth, he stayed back with Absalom? He's betraying what you did for him. But look at all I brought you. You ever had those people where they tell you one thing and then they try to puff you up with, here's this, here's that. This is what Zeba's doing. He's like, I've got all this. Zeba secretly wanted the whole estate of Mephibosheth, so he paints this false story that Mephibosheth is rebelling against him. And very often people have a hard time serving those that don't meet their expectation of a worthy leader, so we don't serve them. And we try to betray them or we try to outdo them. We have an issue when we see a leader have a, a wound or a scar or a leader who doesn't excel here and doesn't excel there and we start building this case as to why we deserve more and we shouldn't serve under someone that we deem ourselves more worthy of and instead of humbling ourselves and serve, we try to find ways to get above. Your call to serve has nothing to do with where the person's weak in. Your call to serve has everything to do with where God has called you to go where God has called you to serve under. Because oftentimes the very people that you think are not qualified to serve, it's a lesson in humility qualifying you. But if you can't take the humility and serve under the weaker thing, God will never elevate you to a position where you are to lead where you are meant to be. I guarantee you every single person you'll ever serve under, there is something about them that you can see as a weakness. Have you ever had that boss that you, that like under your breath when they left, you just said, man, if I just had your job, you son of a, y'all know what I'm talking about? You have, you have leaders who you feel like they are not meeting up to par with what great leadership should be. So we start to say we can do better and we can do more. Ziba is at this place, so he's going to bless the king with all this stuff, shifting his perspective from the lie. Luke 14, 14 says this, Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Stop serving people that's only advantageous to you. Because it's really easy to serve people who give you something or who you feel like it's an advantage. But sometimes you're called to serve where there is no advantage. Sometimes you're called to invite people in who cannot repay you. And it's so easy to serve what can repay, but it's extremely difficult to humble yourself to people who you'll never get anything from. I hear it all the time when we serve it. This is a very elementary example maybe, but I hear a lot when we go to the park, I hear people saying, I'm tired of serving these people, the homeless. I'm tired of serving homeless. They're ungrateful. So if you're, patient and they're, if you're impatient and they're ungratefulness, you've got patience to learn, son. <laughs> so serve the lesser thing that can't repay you back. I'm not serving my husband because he ain't doing jack squat. Humble yourself as your role as a wife. Husbands, humble yourselves as a role of a husband. We all have roles to, yeah, all the, all the, all the couples are like, mm-hmm. 
We all have these roles to serve in, but it's really hard to serve when it's not advantageous to you. But the goal is to get to a place in the church where there is no need, right? The goal is to be such a unified body where eventually there is no need. That is the Garden of Eden. They had no need because God gave they, they were literally walking in the and step with God. They had no need for anything. The disciples were so unified, they had no need in the upper room. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a church meeting when you said, hey, do we have any prayer requests? And everyone's like, nah, we good. Or like if you had like a million dollars to pay off debt and everyone was like, I ain't got no debt. Shout amen if you'd like to see that day. <laughs> we need to do a series on debt. <laughs> we all want to see that day when there is no need, but for some reason we don't take joy in serving the need of others. Because we always say, how is this going to be of advantage to me? But watch your influencers. Because we are so easily influenced to serve what can benefit, but we won't serve that we won't see any fruit. God calls you to bless. God calls you to pray. God calls you to serve. And God doesn't make mistakes. And this one lie that Ziba tells David causes David to make a call and give Ziba the entire estate, uh, the entire estate of Mephibosheth, and that's significant because if you remember, David made a promise to his best friend Jonathan, Saul's son, King Saul, who David replaced. He said, "I will never touch any of Saul's descendants." And here David is found in a very weak state. Zeba's lying. Zeba said he has rebelled against you. He's with Absalom, and David said, "Fine, Zeba, you get the whole estate." And how many times do we go back on God's commands to us because of mere suggestion? Because what you align your thinking with will govern everything in your life. That's why the scripture tells us to take captive every thought. Because a mere suggestion can influence your entire life. Whether the suggestion be truth or a lie. David made a promise and a pact to never mess with Mephibosheth. Granted, Mephibosheth is still alive, so he technically hasn't messed with the promise, but he's just given Ziba Mephibosheth's entire estate, all because Ziba got tired of serving a crippled man. And I wonder how many of us are in this place where we can't move forward because instead of honoring your boss who cuts your hours and cuts your pay and cuts your worth, you slander them behind their back and you wonder why you're not moving ahead. You want to know why God's not doing stuff for people? Because we're not being people of honor to the people who don't benefit us. We're not blessing the people who don't deserve a blessing. Is this talking to anybody? One of my most difficult things in my life is, I probably shouldn't say this over a microphone, but y'all know me, I'm going to say it anyways. Sorry, Mom. One of my most difficult people to honor is my sister. And if y'all knew my sister, you'd be shouting amen right now. Can I get some family to say amen? Yeah, there we go. I know y'all don't have problems with y'all's family, but. And I love my sister. She's crazy, though. She's like, like four foot 11, but she's like eight feet tall. You don't mess with that girl. <laughs> but it's hard for me to honor her sometimes because it's like every single move she makes, I'm like, 
Like you, you just want to punch her in the mouth sometimes because you care for her. <laughs> you love her, but it's like you're making some stupid decisions. And it's hard for me when my sister, you know, gives me a call or sends me a text or sees me, you know, Christmas and Easter only and say, or a birthday and says, hey, can I get some advice? And I want to say, yeah, I give you the same advice every frippin' time I see you, but you always take the opposite road. You know, you're, you're like, don't waste my time. But I wonder how many times God feels like that. Because <laughs> y'all didn't know where I was going with that. Because he, he gives us so many Suggestions called commands, they're not suggestions. And we don't take them. And we wonder why our lives aren't fruitful. And he says, here's the book. Here's the way, the truth. Here's the life. Now it's up to you. Well, God must hate me because he ain't doing nothing. No, he's already done everything. You are the follow-through. We have got to make sure that we become people who are watching what influences us. Let's make sure we know this one thing, that God will make all things work together for our good. Because a lot of times we don't understand how things of lesser value can work out for our good. But as I was studying the scripture, I was remembering when Elijah, he was camping out in the wilderness uh, right outside the city, and he had a need. And in the Bible, most of the times when you think about needs, you think of successful people meeting needs or, or the people of God meeting needs. But look in 1 Kings 17 at how Elijah got a need met in verse 6. It says this, the ravens, the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, ravens in the Bible always represent things that feed on dead things or carnivores. Birds looking to prey on weaker things. And here we see ravens bringing Elijah everything he needs. And what God told me, he said, I can use even the ravens to bring you meat and sustenance, but are you willing to serve a raven? Or is your thought of what they look like going to influence what you serve? Here you have this raven, Zeba, praying on a weak king to get his way, making up a lie about Mephibosheth. And where Zeba may have gotten what he wanted through manipulation, let's remember what David and his men got. 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of fruit, and a wine skin full of wine. Because even the ravens can bring what you need. Is this good? We have, the Bible tells us that once we are saved to stop looking at each other merely from a human point of view. Because what you see is a raven, but what you need to start looking at is provision. Bless your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because there's, there's, there's something that's going to be brought to you by ravens. <laughs> Woo! Watch the influencers in your life and let God do his thing. How? Honor those who even prey on you. You see, Zeba wasn't necessarily an enemy. He was just selfish. He wasn't crossing David's allegiance. He was just trying to get an estate. 
Obviously, he lied to the king, but how many of us lie to our king, Jesus, all the time? We sing in here, Jesus, I worship you, but you don't get my tithe. Jesus, I worship you, but you know how I'm going to talk to that person when I get to work on Monday. Jesus, I worship you, but if they cut me off in traffic one more time. <laughs> Romans 12.10 says this. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family and try to what? Outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Try to outdo yourselves with respect and honor. Picking up in verse 5, it says, The king David came to Baharim. A man came out of the village cursing them. Can you, can, can you think about David right now? The dude has gone from a shepherd boy to serving in the palace to a king trying to throw spears at him when he's playing a heart that soothes his soul, going to a wilderness, becoming king, unifying all the 12 tribes of Israel, winning every battle, the greatest warrior ever. Now he's running from his own kingdom and his own son who he loves. And now getting out of the wilderness, people throwing rocks at him. Look at this. A man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shammai, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel. They shouted at David. Look at the ungratefulness of these people. All that David's done and all he's getting is, you murderer, you scoundrel, get out of here. The Lord's paying you back, verse 8, for all the blood shed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine for you're a murderer. You see, you see, the thing about Shammai was that he's a distant relative of King Saul. And he's still bitter about the fact that Saul died and David took the throne, even though David was not the one who tried to kill King Saul. In fact, the command that David sent out, if you remember, was don't kill that man. And when one of his own people killed Saul, you know what David did to the dude? Killed him. David wasn't guilty of this. This was all hearsay. This was all bitterness building up. And he's calling David a murderer and a scoundrel. And, and how dare you do this? He's throwing stones. He's making snide remarks. There are always people ready to rejoice when you fall. And we have got to watch how their claims influence us. Because so many times when people come against you when you fall, your first reaction is to react with eye for an eye, even though Jesus says, but I'm teaching you if someone strikes your cheek, turn the other one to let them strike the other. We're going to see David doesn't throw remarks back at this dude. He does something totally opposite. Because what we do is they try to come against your character and our first response is, let me take care of that. Look at the next verse, 2 Samuel 16, 9. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, son of Zariah, demanded. Let me go over there and cut off his head. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you shut your mouth. I'm going to cut your head off. Y'all know y'all said that under your breath? When that boss or that family member corrects you, you're like, yeah, you son of a... You, you know what I'm talking about. Let's be real. That's, what we, that's where we want to go. We want to get even. We want to put them in their place. We cry. We complain. We get offended. But look at what David does in 10. No, the king said. Who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah? That was like ancient cuss word. 
sons, (laughs) sons of Zariah. If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? And then David said to Abishai and all the servants, my own son's trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone, let him curse, the Lord's told him to do it. This is David's perspective. He is in a total humble position. He says, they want to curse me. Because remember, all David is thinking about right now is I sent my best friend to the front lines to get killed so I could sleep with his wife. And I just deserve it. He's just eat up with regret. So he's just like, no, we ain't going to, we're not going to get even. We're not going to throw stones back at him. We're not going to curse him. Just let him say what they got to say. Verse 12. And perhaps the Lord will see that I'm being wrong and will bless me because of these curses today. In other words, let God do it. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shammai kept pace with them on a near side hill, cursing and throwing stones and dirt. Can you imagine the humility of walking an entire path into wilderness out of your kingdom, and the whole time people are throwing stones and dirt at you, and you've just got to keep rank and be quiet? Because David was not going to let the wrong curses of King Saul's distant family cause him to influence him. And what happens so often in life is we let insignificant things influence us and cause us to get out of the character of Jesus. Because if you're saved, you're already called a son or a daughter. So your responsibility is keep the character of sons and daughters. It's not I'll become that, it's you keep it. And all the while, while you're walking that path with God, people are going to be trying to put dirt on you, cast stones at you. Don't you just hate it when people call you hypocrite? Well, you hypocrite, you call yourself a Christian. It's like that's one of the biggest stains for believers. You don't know me. We always want to react. Watch your influencers. Because the Bible called the very people that whipped Jesus, he came to die for. And he took it. He let him rip his flesh off. He let the people he loved spit in his face. And when someone calls us a hypocrite, it's like we go to war. When someone calls us fake, it's the biggest offense. And you know what David did? He just kept walking. Watch your influencers because we've got to become a people who no matter what comes against us, we keep walking the path God's called us to walk. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. While they were throwing the stones in the dirt, they continued on the journey. If David would have responded by taking out Shammai, David would have proved that Shammai was right, that he was bloodthirsty, but he wasn't. And David's response, God's going to take care of these illegitimate curses I'm going to walk where God's called me to walk. Never let accusations of men cause you to give up on your journey or dream that God has placed you in. Because look at what he's, he's saying, that he was not rightful to have the throne. He said, now your son's getting it. And so many times, watch what influences you because someone can make a remark that's halfway true, and then it causes you to question your destiny. It causes you to question what you're meant to do. Well, I know this personal part about you. You shouldn't even be that. You shouldn't even be worthy to do that. 
And it's really easy to let that influence you. But then you got to remind yourself, God says, um, I've called you unto right standing with me. Called you unto righteousness. Because let me tell you, God knows how bad you are when he called you righteous. God knows how messed up you are when he gave you that dream. He simply says, are you going to walk on the road with me and pay no attention to the dirt and the stones? And while they throw stones at you, you remember, let those without sin cast the first one. Have grace because they're sinners just like you. <laughs> Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I think we need to take that verse very seriously in verse 6 when it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus says he knew his position, but he didn't cling to that position of pride. And here's what I believe that's happened wrong in the church. We preach a very inspiring message and true message that we're sons and daughters of the king. We're kings and queens of the earth. We have the authority. But just because you have the authority from the Almighty does not mean you cling to that in pride. You are in a position above everyone else, but you serve as if you're below. And Jesus says, when you serve as if you're below, even though the truth is you're seated on, seated on high, I will move you from glory to glory and unto righteousness and take you onto your next path. Every single character in the Bible, if you look at it, David was the greatest king of Israel ever. And look what he's doing. He spends more time in the wilderness than reigning over Jerusalem. We can't clean. We, we got to watch our. Don't, don't let your position in God influence you to walk in pride. Humble yourself. Look at verse 14 again. It says, The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. In the Greek, where it says Jordan River, you know what it says? It says their destination. And their destination happened to be the Jordan River. So along the way, along the path, to their destination, they were getting hit with rocks, hit with stones. They were being slandered, all these false accusations. Can you imagine how defeating that was, how depressing that was? But, but it, it, on the way, they got all this horrible stuff, but they got to a place that was a river flowing of living water. They got everything they needed when they reached the destination, but in order to reach their destination, they could not stop to handle the ones throwing the stones. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in handling the people throwing stones that we forget that let's just take that on the way to our destination. Because they're not there at the river. <laughs> Is this speaking to anybody? <laughs> Stay the course and don't let those throwing stones influence you to stop or get off the path. Stay the course. 
And while David is being loyal and humble and walking this path and getting to uh, uh, the, 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 the Jordan River, look at what God's doing back in Jerusalem. Look at verse 15. It says, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the army of Israel arrived at Jerusalem accompanied by Ahithophel. Remember, that's the best counselor in the area. He is the smartest, and he does get the best advice. I want to make sure we are clear that every advice he gives from this point out is the best advice. Okay, because he's 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 the he was called to it. Well, when David's friend Hoshai the archite arrived, he went immediately to see Absalom. Remember, David sent some people in there to spy, and he says, "Long live the king!" He explained, "Long live the king!" He's playing in Absalom's pride. Is this the way you treat your friend David? Absalom asked him. Why aren't you with him? I'm here because I belong to the man who's chosen by the Lord by all the men of Israel, Hushai replied. And anyway, why shouldn't I serve you? Just as I was your father's advisor, now I'll be your advisor. Hushai is the one David spent, sent to spy on Absalom. We tend to have all these people we go to for great advice. Ahithophel was one of those people. It's good to have counselors. Proverbs 24, 6 says, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. You need advisors. If you ever say, I don't need anyone's advice, you are coming against the word of God. But how many times do we say that? I don't need anyone's advice. I know what I want. No, no, no. You don't go to war without getting many advisors. And I'm just going to let you know, you call me. I'm, I, I am open to advise. I may not get it right, but I'll try. Many advisors. Never go into a battle without wise counsel. The problem, but the problem is sometimes people are wrong and you get conflicting advice. Because Absalom is about to get conflicting advice. You've got Ahithophel and he's going to give the best advice. But then you've got David's guy who's shy who's going to give the worst advice. What's the difference? Ahithophel's advice was going to advance Absalom's agenda. Hushai's advice is going to advance God's agenda. That is why no matter how much the person has proven to be loyal to you, you put every piece of advice before the feet of the Lord and line it up with Scripture. If I give you advice, line it up. Okay? If the most godly people in your life give you advice, line it up. Because you never know. We're people. We, I think we got to have some more grace in that. We're people. We mess up. Your pastor's not perfect. Y'all sure as heck ain't perfect. We're not perfect. But let's walk together in seeking the perfect one. Remember the prophecy Nathan gave to David when David fell and slept with Bathsheba? This is the prophecy. It says in 2 Samuel 12, this is what the Lord says. Because of what you've done, I will cause your household to rebel against you. Now that's happened, right? Now look at this. I'll give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he'll go to bed with him in public. Let's read the next verse in 2 Samuel 16. Remember that promise. Absalom turned to Ahithophel and asked him, what should I do next? Ahithophel, the best counselor in the place, said, go sleep with your father's concubines. 
He's left them there to look after the palace. Remember, David had 10 women he could hook up with at any time, and he left them at the palace. Then all Israel will know that you have insulted your father beyond the hope of reconciliation. And they'll throw their support to you. The horrible thing is that this is the best advice for Absalom's agenda. So in verse 22, it says, They set up a tent on the palace roof, the same roof that David saw Bathsheba from. Talk about poetic justice. Not really, but this is not good justice. They set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it, and Absalom went in and had sex with his father's concubines. Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done. For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. The prophecy comes true. Absalom takes the advice. And I want to point something out. The prophecy was a man that would take these women. When he told David, he said, a man will take the woman. He didn't say his son would. He said a man would. Well, why couldn't God tell David that was going to be his son? Because even the people you stab, that will stab you in your back, you're still called to influence them. And you're still called to serve them. And if that's not enough for you, do you think it was a surprise to Jesus, Jesus that Judas betrayed him? Jesus walked with that man for three years, and every single day, every meal he had, every conversation, every hug, every greeting of a kiss, Jesus knew that this man was going to betray me. <laughs> and at, <laughs> preach it. And at the Last Supper, Jesus looked at Judas and says, Go do what you got to do. And you think because someone stabs you in the back or they're not loyal, you don't have to serve? See, we, we, we've, we've got influence and influence totally wrong. Our decision to serve is influence based off of what they do. God says, let your decision to serve them be influenced off what I have called you to be. And that is a living, breathing, sacrificial son or daughter of the risen king. He says, my way is bigger, my thoughts are bigger. You have no idea why I'm telling you to bless the one that's going to stab you in the back, but I do. And you're not going to see it, but you've got to trust me. Is this speaking to anyone? God never gives up. Luke 14, 14, I want to read it, read it again. We read it earlier. At the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those that could not repay you. Could not repay you. So in 17, verse 1, it says, Now Ahithophel urged Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. And again, Ahithophel's got the best advice. If Absalom would have followed this man's advice, David's, taken, David's done. I will catch up with him, verse 2, while he is weary and discouraged. He and his troops will panic and everyone will run away. And then I'll kill only the king. And I'll bring all the people back to you as a bribe returns to her husband. After all, it's only one man's life that you seek. And then you'll be at peace with all the people. Well, this plan seemed good to Absalom. I mean, think about this. I hit the bell was like, hey, dude, it'll be like a bride coming back. I'll kill the king and you get all the subjects. That, that's a pretty good deal when you're conquering kingdoms. You get all the people, you get all the stock, 
You get everything. Verse 4, the plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. But then, Absalom said, bring in Hushai the archite. Let's see what he thinks about this. <laughs> when someone told David in verse 31, this is 2 Samuel 15, 31. I want to remind you of this. When someone told David that his advisor, Ahithophel, was now backing Absalom, David prayed, O oh Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. <laughs> David was going where God called him to go. David humbled himself to a journey, and in a moment, the prayer was answered. Because Absalom was no longer looking at the best counselor as enough. So let's look at the advice that Hushai gave. Verse 6. When Hushai arrived, Absalom told him what Ahithophel had said. Then he asked, what's your opinion? Should we follow Ahithophel's advice? If not, what do you suggest? Well, now this is probably kind of difficult. Because Hushai knows that Ahithophel is the best. So he's like, well... This time I hit the devil's made a mistake. You know your father and his men. They're mighty warriors. Now, before I go any further, I wanna, I, let me just tell you what he's doing. David, is anyone in here over 70 years old? Okay. The, two. Um, David was a young old man in his 70s. And he's not exactly strong. He's very weak. He's not the same young gun who could, who could take down a giant. He's not that same David. He's an older David. He's a tired David. So if you notice, when Hushai starts off, he says, you know your father and his men, they're mighty warriors. He is directing Absalom to the memory of who David was instead of pointing out what David is. Dude, smart. He says, you know your father and his men, they're mighty warriors. Right now, they're as enraged as a mother bear has been robbed of her cubs. Remember that your father, he's an experienced man of war. He won't be spending the night among the troops. He's probably already hidden in some pit or cave. And when he comes out and attacks, a few of your men fall. There will be panic among your troops. The word will spread that Absalom's men are being slaughtered. And then even the bravest soldiers, though they have the heart of a lion, they'll be paralyzed with fear. All of Israel knows what a mighty warrior your father is, how courageous his men are. I recommend that you mobilize the entire army of Israel, bringing them as far away as, as Dan in the south and Beersheba in the south. That way you'll have an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and I advise you that you personally lead the troops. That's such a dumb piece of advice. Look at what Hushai is saying. He said, king, be in front of the battle. You remember how David killed his best friend? He sent him where? You don't put people on the front line who you don't want to die. That's why if you ever look at a military strike, the general is never on the line. Why doesn't our president go into war? Because it's the worst move to put our leader at the front. Worst advice. Hmm. Where was I? What verse am I at? 12. 
When we find David, we'll follow him like the dude that falls in the ground and neither he or nor, nor any of his men will be left alive. And if David were to escape into some town, you'll have all Israel there at your command. And then we can take ropes and drag the walls of the town to the nearest valley until every stone is torn down. <laughs> Ahithophel's plan was led by Ahithophel. Hushai's plan was led by Absalom. You know what he's doing? He's playing into his pride. I'll put you at the front lines and you can get your daddy. Watch influencers who puff you up rather than help you see. I don't want spiritual authority. He's going to just tell me where my gifts are. I want mothers and, and, and fathers who are going to advise me to help me see where my weak places are. Be careful of influencers who all they tell you is how great you're doing. I have made it a personal uh, uh, goal and, and, and filter of mine that the people who I take advice from are going to be the people who don't puff me up. They're going to see me for who I am and help me tighten up the weak places. And when they say, Kyle, that's not your gift, they'll show me that I need to empower someone else in it. This is a lot better than y'all responding. <laughs> so verse 14, Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithophel's. For the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which really was the better plan, so that he could bring disaster on Absalom. God's good. You want some peace? Men cannot escape God. When a man goes his own way, they will, that will never set them free. And there's so many people that try to go their own way, it will never set them free. There's only one way, and that is Jesus. Watch your influencers to make sure that they will influence you to be secrets of God in all things. So in verse 15, it says, Hashiah told Zadok and Abiath all the priests what Ahithophel had said to Absalom and the elders of Israel and what he himself had advised and said. Quick, he told them, find David and urge him not to stay at the shallows of the Jordan River tonight. He must go across at once into the wilderness beyond. Otherwise, he will die and his entire army with him. Jonathan and Ahimaaz have been staying at Enrogel so as not to have been seen entering and leaving the city. Arrangements have been made for a servant girl to bring them the message that they were going to take to King David. But a boy spotted them at Enrogel. He told Absalom about it. They quickly escaped to Behrim where a man hid them down inside a well in his courtyard. The man's wife put a closet at the top of the well, scattered grain on it, dried the sun, so no one suspected where they were. When Absalom's men arrived, they asked her, have you seen Ahimaaz and Jonathan? The woman, the woman replied, well, they were here, but they crossed over the brook. Absalom's men looked for them without success. They returned to Jerusalem. Then the two men crawled out of the well and hurried to King David. Quick, they told him, cross the Jordan. They told him how Ahithophel had advised them that he would be captured and killed. So David and all the people went with him across the Jordan River during the night, and they were on the other bank before dawn. David follows the advice from his loyal people who went with him. Let me tell you something. If they won't go with you in the wilderness, they ain't loyal. If they're quick to be persuaded by other people, they ain't loyal. And I wonder how many of us are truly loyal to the Almighty and not easily persuaded, and we will go wherever he calls us to go. These loyal people follow David everywhere. They went from kingdom to, to wilderness. I wonder how many of us are really influenced by God where if God says to make a move that seems backwards, you say, yes, Lord. 
which is probably one of the toughest things to do in our walk with Christ. I can tell you, we can all praise about this place, but it wasn't exactly easy for me to say yes to God when he said, leave you know, 800 bucks a month for a 500-seat sanctuary and pay 1,500 bucks a month for a 75-seat sanctuary. That wasn't exactly me going, praise God. That was tough. But am I willing to go into a wilderness where I end up at a river full of life? You know how the Bible describes mature believers? We're given the, 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 we're, we're given the reason for apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. It says to equip and build the church to bring us into maturity. And the very next verse, after he tells us to bring us into maturity, look at this in Ephesians 4.14. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body of the church. Maturity is you are not easily influenced by things that are new. Welcome the American culture. Everything is influenced by new, 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 new. And as I get closer and closer to my walk with God, I really have to realize something that I've been very immature in for a long time because of better things. These old things are so much better than the new. These old ways, like, like God knew what he said and why it was to be said. He still knows. Some of these seem ridiculous. Well, you can't be forgiven unless you forgive those people who have persecuted you and done wrong to you. That seems stupid. But what's a mature believer? <laughs> I'm going to build my life on his word. I'm not going to be tossed to and fro with new teachings. I'm not going to take a, just, just because a church grows to thousands of people doesn't mean I'm going to be influenced by their ways because numbers don't mean jack squat to God's kingdom. Does God want everyone? Sure. But he's not going to compromise his own word to do it. I, I, I truly have a passion now in my life at almost 34 years old because it doesn't seem so young as 33 for some reason to me, 34 versus 33. But I, I, that's stupid. I have, I have a true passion to see every single person in this room look totally different tomorrow than you do today. Me too. Because I really and truly believe that we can walk this earth and shine like God. I really believe that. But do you? Because we, we're sitting here and we're hearing this message about watching your influencers. But, but notice how quick, like when all of us go to dinner tonight or you go to your homes, watch how quick you walk out of the will of God. Watch how easy it is to complain about the waitress instead of blessing her in her insufficiencies. Watch how quick you are to, to even be speaking all, all of this bitterness about people who wrong you as soon as you walk out this door. 
Is your influencer the Almighty? <laughs> Watch your influencers. Are you influenced by God or are you influenced by the weakness of your spouse? The weakness of your kids? The weakness of your best friends? The weakness that you're... What are you influenced by? In verse 23, this is how crazy this gets. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he sat his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and hanged himself. And he died there and was buried in his family tomb. Why did he hung himself? It's not because he felt bad. Because Ahithophel gave the right advice for Absalom's agenda. And he knows that following his shy's advice, that David's going to win and he's going to be charged with conspiracy. You know, we try to take vengeance in our own hands so much. You know, God says, if you would just give it to me, I'll avenge what's been done wrong to you. Now, I'm not saying God would ever cause anyone to kill themselves. That's not, that's not his will. But I will say that God will take care of those who are trying to influence you in the wrong place. In verse 24, David soon arrived at Mahanaim. By now, Absalom had mobilized the entire army of Israel and was leading his troops across the Jordan. Absalom had appointed Amasa as commander of his army, replacing Joab, who had been commander under David. Amasa was Joab's cousin. His father was Jethro, an Ishmaelite. His mother, Abigail, daughter of Nahash, was the sister of Joab's mother, Zariah. Absalom and the Israelite army set up camp in the land of Gilead. The dude was leading the army. The worst place for a commander to be, most vulnerable to death, but pride leads to fall. Watch your influencers, because sometimes the worst influence in your life is you. You may tell you a very easy filter for making sure that you're not influencing yourself in a bad direction. Always be humble to what God wants and not what you want. And it can go for anything. Because personally, if I've got big bills, what I want to do is just spend the money on a nice dinner. But my humility says pay the flipping bill. If someone stabs me in the back, what I want to do is get even. What the Almighty says is humble yourself and keep walking. Bless them. Pray for them. The easiest filter to put on yourself is what would God have me do? Don't let your agenda influence you. God knows everything you need. He knows everything your heart desires. And he says, do you want to succeed? Humble yourself and follow me. Because you think you know the best plan is to get in front of the battle and fight it yourself. And he says, humble yourself and let me take care of the stuff that you don't see coming at you. You want to know, know why being in the front is the worst place? Because there's so much going on, you can't see the whole picture. So God says, I'm going to go before you. 
And when I say don't, it's because I've already seen where the arrows are flying from. If I say stop, it's because I've already seen how this plays out. How does a church become successful in the idea of changing a city? When the leaders of the church in Savannah humble themselves and say our purpose is not to be known, our purpose is to equip the saints. Truly my prayer is that Kyle Garrison will never be a name that's known. It's truly my prayer. My prayer is that God would use me to build a strong army that Satan trembles at because they no longer see us. They see God. He sees God. And closing out this chapter, verses 27 through 29, when David arrived at Mahinam, he was warmly greeted by Shobi, son of Nahash, who came from Rabbi the Ammonites, by Mekar, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and, by, and remember Lodabar is where Mephibosheth from, and by Barzillai of Gilead from Rajalim. They brought sleeping bags, sleeping mats, cooking pots, serving bowls, wheat, barley, flour, roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey, butter, sheep, goats, and cheese for David. Dang. And those were with him. Why? For they said, you must all be very hungry and tired and thirsty after your long march through wilderness. Everything David and his people needed to be sustained was walking deeper into the wilderness into a bunch of nobodies. And the no-name nobodies on the other side of the wilderness had everything they needed. Because David was influenced by one thing. God, where would you have me go? Absalom's chasing himself in power. He sets up camp in Gilead. But Absalom is focused on killing David, his own father, because he wants the throne. And Absalom misses something. He's camped in Gilead. Everyone say Gilead. He's camped in Gilead. His army's probably tired. They've been going a while. They're after David. Let me tell you something about Gilead. We find through the scripture that there is something called the balm of Gilead. It was a healing ointment. In Jeremiah 8, 22, it talks about Jesus being the balm of Gilead. His blood is the balm needed for cleansing and life. And while Absalom is camped there in Gilead, it's as if the healing balm was not given to Absalom, but given to David and his men. Because they, they never stopped in Gilead. They went deeper into the wilderness, away from the kingdom, away from the healing land, end up in this place with nobodies, and they get like everything anyone could ever want. Sheeps and goats and butters and rolls and, and sleeping mats and fire. He got everything he needed. All the healing he needed, everything that they needed to be sustained and gain their energy back. Because the only nourishment and healing that they allowed to flow to them was God's word. Where God wanted them to go. 
They were not going to be influenced by people throwing stones. They weren't going to be influenced by this huge army chasing them. They weren't going to be influenced by what the past has done. They weren't going to be influenced by who Absalom was. They weren't going to be influenced. They didn't have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. They only allowed one thing to influence them. God, where do you want us to go? And he led them through the worst possible traveling means. Through streets where they were slandered. Through a dark and cold wilderness to get to a place where there was rivers flowing of water and everything they needed to camp and gain strength. Let the only nourishment and healing you get be one influence. Not your friends, not even your pastor, not just your wife or your husband. Be influenced by one thing, the Almighty. Because husbands and wives, you let God influence you, you'll begin to influence your spouse. Instead of letting your spouse influence, God influence you so you can influence. Watch your influencers. Not circumstances. Not, no, no, no. One thing. God. He will influence my every decision. He will influence my every reaction. He will influence my every step. And I'll bring glory to his name. Amen.